You may not realize this, but Advent is kind of a funny thing because if you Google this every year and look for what are, what, what are the, the Advent things this year and, and what everybody's doing, it kind of becomes a little bit of a choose your own adventure depending on which one you look at. There are certain things that are the same, but when Pastor Kirk and, and Presley uh, and, and Pastor Nathan and myself, we, we sit down, we start thinking about these things and we're talking about behold this and behold that. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And we can behold the place. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And we get into this week and it's like, I'm supposed to preach on Bethlehem. Who thought that was a good idea? And so I started asking my friends, what do you got on Bethlehem? You're preaching on Bethlehem? Yeah, you got anything? No, I don't have anything. I looked back in my sermon thought, I don't think I've ever preached on Bethlehem. And so I wrestled with it all week. And there's a, about three things that I think this passage of scripture speaks to us that will help us no matter where we are because the same things that were true for Joseph and Mary are actually true for us as well. There are two gospel narratives and we'll be in the gospel of Luke that speak about the birth of Christ. And I, I do wanna just remind you of this. This is often a contentious point for people because they say these narratives have inconsistencies. And it always amazes me that people say this. Because if, if you take any public figure and you read three or four biographies of that public figure, they all have a different emphasis on different events and nobody calls it inconsistent, you know? It's, it's a perspective. So we have two perspectives of the birth of Christ, not inconsistent at all, just shaping it and framing it a little bit differently for us. So let's read today from Luke chapter two, and we're going to read the first six verses to see about this unlikely place where Christ the Savior was born. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. So it's an amazing picture of what's happening here. There's this thing that the Bible talks about in time, and we've been focusing on that for a couple of weeks as we've talked about what happens in eternity and what happens in time. And you know, we talk about this, and I think it's very important. And so the first thing I want you to see is, is that God's time. It said the time for Mary. God's time. When we think about this, the Bible talks about the birth of Christ, and there are four ways for a baby to be born in the Bible. Did you know this? There are actually multiple ways. God can create you, Adam. God can create you from man, Eve. God can give you parents and they procreate and have a baby. Or in the case of Jesus Christ, in God's time, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and you have Jesus born of a virgin, born of God. And this is very important that we understand this because if Jesus is just born of a man, then he can't be fully God, he won't live a sinless life and he can't take away our sin. If he's fully God and not fully man, he can't relate to us in our temptations, he's not tempted like us. And so the Bible tells us that in this time, he was born fully man, 
fully God. And because he's fully God and fully man, he's eternal, immortal, and the visible expression of God. And this detail about the virgin birth and God's timing of this is so important. So much so that Matthew tells us that Joseph actually waited to consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born because they want you to know that Jesus was born of a virgin in time. Why this time? Why did God wait 400 years between Malachi and the birth of Christ? What, what is so specific about of time? Well, God's time in this situation is perfect because in eternity, God saw that it was time. Now, we often think about time differently. You remember we talk about this. We see back and we see right up to the present, but God stands outside of time and space and sees all of eternity. So God's time was perfect. God's place. Bethlehem has a wonderful place in history. In modern day, it's actually part of Palestine. And if you ever go to Israel and you go there, it feels very different from all the rest of Israel. And when you go, most often you will meet groups of Christians who live in Bethlehem. You don't think about that, that there would be groups of Christians. You think about Jews, you think about Muslims, but there are groups of Christians living in Bethlehem and this only a few miles outside of Jerusalem. It's mentioned in the Bible as the place where Rachel died. Did you know that? Rachel, the mother of Joseph, dies in Bethlehem. It's also mentioned as the place in the Bible where Naomi was from, and when she and her daughter-in-law Ruth came back from Moab, they stayed in Bethlehem. David was born in Bethlehem. Samuel sent there to anoint David to be the king. And David was promised someone from his lineage would always be on the throne. It was God's place. Micah 5, 2, as Jerry and Virginia already read, talk about it being small among the clans of Judah and that one would come to be ruler over all Israel for me, his origin from antiquity, from ancient times. And when you think about this, very important. From antiquity, meaning that he has always been because he is God. And that he would always be because he is God. It's funny in the places that God creates. I mean, God creates it all, but there are certain places that are just special. We don't know why. We don't know why God would just place his hand on there and maybe his spirit resides there in a special way. Or, and the people that come to this place are blessed but I've been a part of some of those places. You go there and you immediately sense the presence of God. There's a little camp that we used to go to when I was a kid. We've actually taken our students there in the past over in East Tennessee in the middle of the Cherokee National Forest. Every time I've been there, I've seen God move in incredible ways because he was pouring out his spirit on people who were there. Why does he pick that place? Who knows? But this was God's place. Matthew records for us in his gospel that when the wise men came, they stopped with Herod and they began to say to him, hey, where is this Messiah going to be born? Herod says, let's grab the scribes and the chief priests. And the Bible says that they told him it will be in Bethlehem. They knew Micah 5. They understood it. And the Bible says that they, the scribes and the chief priests, Herod and all of Jerusalem were very disturbed by all of this, and yet nobody walked with the Magi to see what was going on. It was God's place. An important place. It was God's movement. 
Mary and Joseph certainly had a lot on them already. You recognize, don't you, that in their little town, they are now under the spotlight because nobody believes that Mary is the virgin who will conceive. They don't believe the story. They believe that Joseph and Mary or are living in an improper way, or at the very least, they believe that Mary is a woman of ill repute now. And now, for circumstances outside of their control, the government has stepped in and made them take this journey. Can you imagine being three or four days away from delivery and having to get on a donkey or a mule and ride for three days I'm not sure if Mary was muttering, but I know that if I was pregnant with three days left, I'd have a lot to say about that. Wouldn't you? This just goes to prove no one's ever liked the government. You know what I mean? Because the government's doing this. Look what they're doing. You must go be registered. It's from a place they don't know. Where's Rome? They can't even fathom what Rome looks like. They can't even fathom where it is. It's so far away and they live in this little world in Galilee and Nazareth. This beautiful, idyllic place. And now because of circumstances outside of their control. Caesar Augustus has said you must return to your ancestral town to be registered. Why? For taxes. He's building an empire and he wants to make sure he's getting everybody taxed. So this several day journey over difficult terrain would have taken place. But God was moving in such a way to orchestrate events that seem random, that seem outside of their control to line up perfectly with his will. Remember, this comes far away from Rome. This isn't the Jews making them do this. And it's a place that nobody can even imagine. Bethlehem? That's that little dumpy town outside of Jerusalem. Is that, What's in Bethlehem? Might have been hard for them to understand it as well. And yet, you and I are in the same position that Joseph and Mary are in all the time. Because we're constantly struggling with God's timing. We're constantly struggling with God's place. And we're constantly struggling with God's movement in our lives. It's difficult for us. Because when we understand how God uses these three things, we understand that he's been using them from the beginning of time until now. And he is much in the same business as he was then. We've been talking about this eternal perspective recently. And the scripture talks about time so much. In fact, in Galatians chapter four, it says this about time. When the time had come to completion, other translations say fulfilled. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You understand that God is always using those three things, time, place, movement. So when we think about time, God was waiting for the right time, and at the right time, God gave his son, born under the law, born to a virgin, born so that he might redeem us and that we might be adopted as sons. We think about it that way, it's clear that God has an eternal purpose that we often don't understand and we might be confused by it. We, we don't understand the timing that God is, is bringing to bear on this world. We, we'd love to understand it, 
But most of the time, it remains a mystery to us. And I assure you of this, while it may be a mystery, God is never early and he's never late. He's always on time, working things according to his eternal plan. He never messes that up. It's fixed. And yet so many of us struggle with that. Because we feel like God is is waiting too long when we've been waiting And the scripture speaks about that over and over again. How many times does the scripture say, wait on the Lord? And we don't like that because it feels passive. It feels outside of my control. It feels like I'm helpless to be able to do anything. Like, I can't do this. I just have to hopefully uh, wait on God to do something. That doesn't feel right, but waiting's not passive. When you're waiting on an answer, it's active. It's prayer. It's constantly going before the Lord and putting that burden before him. It's constantly going before the Lord and entrusting that situation to him over and over and over again because he is faithful to bring it to pass when the time is fulfilled. God's place. How many times in life have I heard people talk about how they feel like they're in the wrong place because they don't want to be where they're at? I don't like it here. I don't like this job. I don't like these people. I don't like living here. I want to be home. I want to live somewhere else. I want to live at the beach. I want to live at the mountains. I want want to live somewhere else. I don't like this place that God has me. I don't like this work that God has me. I don't like these things that God is doing. I don't want to do this. I want something different. Many times it's because we feel like the place where we are is insignificant. This is not bringing to bear all the things that I could do or that, that I could bring to the table. God, God isn't using it. This is too little for me. I need more. This is just too little. And yet with God, there's no insignificant places. There's no insignificant jobs. There's no insignificant ministries. How often does the Bible remind us not to despise the day of small things? Because God's doing things. And when God has you in the place that he wants you to be, it's not insignificant at all. Do you remember when Samuel went to Bethlehem to anoint David as king? All these boys are coming out and he goes, oh, let this guy be the one. He's so big, he's so strong. And the Lord says, you look at outward appearances because that's what man does. I'm looking at the heart. It's not what you're going to see. You might overlook this person. Don't overlook him, Samuel. And King David was anointed it's so easy for us to look like that. We, we look at the outward appearance of, of what everything we can see is and we miss what God is doing and we forget there is no insignificant ministry, no insignificant job, no insignificant place. If God has us there, it's on purpose. I was 14 and a half, about this time, when my parents decide to move me from my beloved East Tennessee to Nashville, Tennessee. My dad had been a pastor. He'd been a pastor of a a significant church in in the the convention of churches that is the Tennessee Baptist Convention. And he came to work at Lifeway Christian Resources. And we started going to church in Hendersonville at a church where one of his seminary buddies was the pastor. And as we were all trying to adjust to this new life, one of the things that happened is that now my dad needs a place to serve the church. That's a funny thing for him because he's always been in this spot his whole life, preaching, teaching. 
And so he goes and says, hey, is there anything that I could do at the church to kind of help out? And they said, yes. What is it? We need help in the three-year-old class. Now, go back to the 1990s with me. If we were all in here in 1990, you would be dressed very differently, wouldn't you? How did we dress? We wore our suits, and I remember my dad putting his cufflinks on to go to church and his tie on. And it used to just crack me up to go down to that little preschool class. If you know my dad, he's kind of a big, tall guy. He's like a human jungle gym. Those kids crawling all over him and everything, and he's down there in his suit crawling around the floor. And, and you just think, like, I mean, is there no better place that you could put a guy who's been a pet? Oh, well, the, wait now. There are no insignificant places. There are no insignificant places. I learned that going to the first church that I pastored and there were 35 people that Sunday and I thought, what, what are we doing here? This is smaller than the Sunday school class that I'm in at my church. But you know what I learned is that to those people, what we did on Sunday morning was extremely significant. It had been since 1891 when somebody had a vision to start a church and I began to see that it might not matter to the whole rest of the world what we did in that little place, but it mattered extremely uh, a bunch to those people and to the Lord because God had called us to be there as a church family. And it matters because there's nothing that is too insignificant for you or me to do. How could we be too big for what God wants us to do? How could we be too important for what God wants us to do? How could we do that? And so we often look at these places and we kind of kick against it and we don't like it and we just want to be somewhere else and do something else and have an opportunity and God's saying, show me that you'll be faithful right there because this place matters to me. I created it. I gave it. Christ died for it. God's time, God's place, God's movement all throughout the scripture, we see world events moving people to where they need to be. The nation of Israel is formed out of sin. Do you remember that? What do they do? They send Joseph. The brothers are sinful. And God uses that to send Joseph ahead. He winds up in Egypt. And then a famine causes the family to be reunited. We see it over and over again in scripture. We saw that taxes moved Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem just to fulfill prophecy. Persecution, I'm gonna get it out in a minute. Persecution in the, in the New Testament caused the church to expand. When you read Peter's letters, he, he's writing to a church that's dispersed. Well, nobody wanted to leave Jerusalem. Everybody was happy, everybody was comfortable. But Jesus said, go into all the world. And when people weren't going, he sent them. It's often not comfortable. It's often not what we would choose. It's often not the way we would do it. And yet God uses things like pandemics, wars, job loss, breakups, changes at school, changes in our medical life at home. He uses those things to get us where we need to be. And we always see these things on the surface. And most of the time we don't like them because they're not fun. They're often awful. They're hard. They're difficult. And yet God uses it. And at the end of the day, how we get to where God wants us to be is not nearly as important as the fact that we got there. And if we're there and we understand that that place is important to God and his timing is perfect, then we begin to see the spirit of God move in our lives and we come alive to do the things that he wants us to do. This is a hard one. Because movement is hard. We don't like it. 
We find it uncomfortable when God pushes us to somewhere. And we really don't like it when he uses difficult things. When I picture my life in the future and I write my biography, autobiography, it's never bad. It's always awesome. I'm the hero of every story. Everything is wonderful. Everything I touch turns to gold. There's no hard days. It's just awesome. And I have to remind myself when it gets a little hard, when you walk through a season, I have to remind myself, uh, have you read the Bible lately, sir? Because that's not how it worked for anybody. God uses these situations to move us to the place that he wants us to be. And so these three things, God's time, God's place, God's movement. How's that affecting you this morning? Are you stuck feeling like God's been too long in coming and you've been waiting and and he hasn't done what you expected him to do and you keep waiting and waiting and waiting and you're tired of waiting and you feel like God is late and that he's not doing what you need done and, and you're just missing it. Are you sick of the place where you're at? Do you feel like maybe that place is, is too difficult? Too small? Not where you want to be? You'd really rather be home? You'd really rather be somewhere else? But if God has you there, he has you there strategically, on purpose, for his kingdom, to fulfill a purpose that he designed for you and for the kingdom before eternity, God's movement. Are you being tossed about a little bit right now? Feels like God's not as sovereign as you'd hoped he would be because he's not making you the hero of every story. Everything you touch isn't turning to gold. It's a little bit difficult. It's a little bit hard, but that's okay. Sometimes we just have to reaffirm that God is sovereign. And we don't understand. But he's still worthy of our trust. So as we close this morning, I'm gonna just invite us to enter a season of prayer. Just a few moments. And I want us to just work through these three things. Maybe today it is the timing piece that you're struggling with. And if it is, why don't you just go before the Lord right now and renew your commitment to wait. I will wait upon you, Lord. Could you just say that to him? Just to say your timing is going to be perfect. It's a mystery. I accept it. But I will wait. Maybe your struggle is the place. It's the job. It's the thing that you want to change. It's where you're living. It's how you're living. And you just keep waiting for that. You don't want to be doing it anymore. And it feels too small or too big or whatever. And you just don't know why God has you there. Can you trust him? And thank him that he works all things together for good.
Maybe right now you're being thrown around in the movement of the Lord. It's always unsettling, but he's still on the throne. Would you trust him that he is moving you to where you need to be? And that as long as you get to where he wants you to be, it's okay. Oh God, our Father, we thank you that in time and space, Christ was born in Bethlehem on a specific night where you, O oh Lord, came and met with us, taking on flesh so that you might die in our place. And God, I always want to pray for the one this morning that is tired of waiting. They have been waiting. Lord, would you strengthen them and remind them that as they wait, actively praising you and worshiping you and handing over those situations to you, you are moving and that you will never be late. God, for those in the room that are stuck in a place they don't want to be, Maybe they feel like it's too small or too big for them or they don't want to be here. They want to live somewhere else. They, they just don't want to be in the place that you have them. Father, I pray today that you would remind them that where you are is the only thing that matters and you are with them in that place and you have called them and placed them there and it's for your glory and your renown, Father, that we are in these places serving you and we're grateful that we have that opportunity. Father, give us a vision so that we don't miss the forest for the trees. Let us see what you're doing. And Father, we are your servants. Use us where you see fit. And God, for those of us being tossed around in the movement, Father, would you move us to those places where we need to be and help us to trust you. Even when external circumstances are moving us, Lord, to see your hand at work. We're not victims. We're on a journey with the living God. And we thank you for that. Thank you for always being near to us. And for this, we give you praise and pray these things that you would shape our hearts to be more like the saviors. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.